I wanted to talk to Robbie Salter because from what I could recollect, he had a career that was doing great. He was working in the big city at a company everyone knew. He and his wife were also preparing for the arrival of their first child. And so there was no need to rock the boat. But Robbie, Robbie had an itch, an itch that he really needed to scratch. For many of us, we dream about changing things up, about doing something new, but circumstances hold us back. Sometimes we think we don't have the idea baked enough. Sometimes we're unsure how to make or sell a product. And sometimes life is just a little too good to risk it all. I've met a lot of people with new ideas, but few find a way to just get started. For a while, Robbie seemed to be one of those. He had told me that he'd been planning something and I was waiting. And then the pandemic came and in the chaos, he found the courage to launch the Jupiter Hair Care brand. In this interview, he'll share his story from corner office to DTC startup. He'll talk about the moment he realized he needed to make the change. The motivations behind his new company, Jupiter, and why he thinks it's an imperative that we all pursue projects of energy. Mate, so at the weekend, I went to Target. I was in Target in Newburgh, just off the 17 in mid-state New York, yeah? And I found myself in the shampoo aisle, okay? I'm, I'm looking for shower gel, but I'm in the shampoo aisle. And I'm like, it's got to be around here somewhere. But the shampoo aisle in Target is like super long. And you're like, okay, sh shower gel must be next door. You go into that aisle. It's another aisle of shampoos. Like the shampoos are mental. It took me about an hour to get the nerve to ask a store associate where, where the shower gel was. And of course, it was down the other end. Yeah, was the phrase, yeah. Next to the banana. Um, Next to the bananas. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking through all these different bottles and jars and stuff like that. And then I was thinking about today. I'm like, Robbie, there's a lot of shampoo already out there, mate. Yeah. We'll talk about why you did it and why you created this brand. But maybe we can start off and just talk about Jupiter today and what sets it apart from those hundreds of other bottles and brands that I saw. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, your experience was exactly my experience. There's a lot out there and most of them don't have purpose, right? So there's a lot of brands hoping to win you over through marketing or through branding or just some sort of influencer of some kind. For me in particular, my co-founders in particular is, uh, we had an issue and that issue was scalp discomfort. For me, it was dry scalp. For my business partners, it was oily scalp. And when we had that issue, we went to the shelves of places like Target or CVS or Dwayne Reed, Ulta, Sephora. And we didn't know the difference between the very limited number of scalp discomfort products that were out there. So as you can imagine, you know, I, if I said scalp discomfort or dandruff, you would probably immediately go to Head & Shoulders, which is the number one selling shampoo brand in the world across any category. 
Or you might say Nizarel if you were a little bit more educated on the space. And that's the number one selling shampoo on Amazon across any category, not just the scalp discomfort. And our personal experience with those products were that they were tremendously lackluster on a number of fronts. And as we started to peel back the proverbial onion of the space and the manufacturing process, we discovered that there was a huge opportunity. And yes, we are another uh, shampoo company, if you will. But that being said, we are providing a solution and an option for those who want better and better can be anything from sensorial experience uh, to efficacy, to education and guidance, because we are a digitally native brand. We do have customer experience teams or customer service teams that are able to answer questions for you, but we're also experts. So like you, I was in that position of feeling like I didn't want to talk to somebody or I couldn't even find somebody to ask the question, which to buy and why to buy. And with Jupiter, somebody's there and you're answering your questions and we're making you, we're removing the stigma that might be associated with buying a product like this. And uh, I think we do it tremendously well with a scent that smells like a hotel lobby of a fancy hotel in the South of France at a reasonably affordable price. So how does it manifest today? Um, you have a shampoo, a condition, and a couple of other products. Remind me. Yep. Yeah. So we have a shampoo that has what's called an active ingredient. So that's one of the ingredients that the FDA has said is successful at doing the thing that it says it does. So in this case, it treats or grease buildup on the scalp. And then we have a conditioner, which is a non-active ingredient conditioner, but it's intended for folks like me who have drier scalp. That's just a beautiful product with beautiful ingredients. We also have a serum. Effectively, think of our serum as an out-of-shower version of our shampoo. So for those individuals who don't wash their hair as often or have um, uh, worse, oilier scalps than others, the serum is great for that. We also have a purifying mask. That mask is general weekly exfoliator. So it's spa-like experience that helps lift up, build up, whether it's through products like dry shampoo or pomades or hairsprays and whatnot. Uh, and then finally, a physical exfoliant, which is our scalp brush. That is triple threat of detangling air, or removing buildup physically through the bristles. And then also just a method of spreading shampoo better and easier. I think what was nice is I remember contacting you because I was going about looking for a product for my son. Sure. I was probably asking for a friends and family discount as well. Yeah. Like, you know, cheap. But um, <laughs> I was like, Robert, you remember me from the old days? Um, I hope I gave it to you. Uh, you were very kind. You're very kind. And I went on and you corrected me because I, I was like, I need it for my son. I don't need it. And you were like, dude, you should try the products. It's just as good for any type of hair. Totally. Yeah. Um, um, and so the, I use it frequently. I travel with it. It's the only shampoo I think I've ever put into a wash bag. So. Hey, I love that. Yeah. I Listen, our, our whole thesis is that gorgeous hair start, starts at the scale and you know, what we've really done, and we talked about the products earlier, we didn't talk about the philosophy. So our, the philosophy is premised on this idea that dermatologists and physiologists have been pushing for ages, which is just like your face. If you want clean, acne-free skin, 
you need to wash and it's fully cleansed, et cetera. With, with your scalp, it's the exact same thing. And frankly, just to get the hair that you want, you should follow a similar routine that you do with your face. So it is an exfoliation, a cleansing and a conditioning or a moisturization process, just like you did with your face. And that's how we're building our brand and just the same for something like you, it's good for anybody. So there's a sort of sophistication with the products use. One of the first things you said is purpose. Sure. So how does purpose and that functional approach to your products intersect? it's all. Yeah. Listen, like I said before, we have a reason for being, there's a lot of companies out there that particularly in the beauty space that are, uh, their infrastructure is wobbly. Uh, it's a influencer or a person of note who's basically saying, I want to launch a tequila brand, or I want to launch a makeup brand, or I want to launch a haircare brand for no other reason, aside from a cash grab, why we're here talking is. Uh, I was at a point in my career where I said, I want to build and I have a need that is unmet. And for 50 to 75% of the world who does experience some form of scalp discomfort, our strong belief is that most people feel like there is, that their current products are lacking in some way, shape or form. And because 20% of the population gets scalp discomfort all day, every day not just temporarily or situationally. We felt like there was a real reason to serve a customer out there. So when we launched, it was focusing on those individuals who had been left behind. And we discovered very quickly that those individuals happened to predominantly be women who color treat or chemically treat their hair or simply are embarrassed to have some of those other products in their showers for good reason, Procter & Gamble, other companies have spent billions of dollars forming brand identities around those big products. Yeah, it's fascinating. As I said, saw this aisle full of flavors and smells and aromas and treatment types totally. uh, for different types of hair, for the abundance of choice or the, the issues that you have with choice as well. Like, where do you start with all of those? And then. You see it. the private brands could be the, the corporate brands, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You were talking a little bit about when you started, but maybe we can talk about that for a second. Now I met you a few years ago, you were a pretty successful up and coming media professional, media marketing professional, uh, working in New York city. People talked about you and seemed to respect you and to enjoy working with you. And I was continued doing that type of work forever. And it seemed to me that you're in the right job, right time, right environment. Sure. To abruptly make a change, what motivated you to really do that on both a professional and a personal level? Yeah, I think two things. One, it's sort of for the love of the game. And then secondly, it's because I had to look myself in the mirror every morning. And uh, there's a builder inside of me. I think if you take a step back and look at my career, there's a very consistent theme of narrative building and storytelling. Um, it's just different environments that I'm doing that. So my career, I was incredibly fortunate to start working with some of the best storytellers from Jerry Bruckheimer to Lloyd Braun for one of the best storytellers in the world, Michael Castle. And when we're at MediaLink, 
my job was to help build the narrative around the incredible team that we had around us doing what we did on a daily basis. And I'm very, very blessed that the company grew exponentially in the time that I was there. And yeah, I'd like to think that I'd had a, a little um, bit what, of at what point did something come up where you're like, I, I think I need a change. I want to have a change. Oh, it's a, it's a very clear moment. So after we had sold the business, I was in, working incredibly hard, long hours, enjoying my job, but also had that proverbial and literal itch to do something different. And we sold the business and I was in my office one day scratching my head, literally saying, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? Where am I going? When's my big moment? And I looked down on the desk and I saw flakes and it was a true eureka moment of this is interesting. And mind you, I'd been in rooms with some of these industry types, like the Keith Weeds or Mark Pritchards of Unilever and Procter and Gamble and hearing the issues that they were dealing with at their businesses. Also just generally talking to brand leaders and pair that with the same exact experience you just said at Target, where I went to the CVS and I went to the Sephora's and Alta's and looked at what was on the shelves and I couldn't find anything. And I was really just taking all of the things that I learned over the course of my career to approach this problem and say, Hey, this is personal. This is a personal problem. Are you willing to bet your career on it? Wow. That's a big statement. Yeah. Are you willing to bet your career on it? That's it. If anyone's listening is like thinking, I'd love to go off and do something, uh, that's scary. Oh, does your audience speak French? It's a huge fucking gamble, right? Yeah. I remember coming home and telling my wife about it and she thought it was crazy. I remember telling Michael Kasson about it and he looked at me like I was insane. Which but, is interesting from an entrepreneur. But because superficially it does sound insane, but then when you start to actually think about it, and by the way, Michael was one of my first investors and to this day, I will forever be grateful for him and think of him like a second father. Yeah. And, and I tell him all the time, he fundamentally changed the trajectory of my career, including supporting me when I decided to make the jump. And I also have to give credit to Wenda Harris Millard, who was his partner immediately for encouraging me to go off and. I think what I always had in the back of my head was if this doesn't work, which by all accounts, it may not work. And statistically speaking, it's not going to work. I always felt like I had the experience of MediaLink and the experience of working with such incredible people to fall back on. And I got to feel like that's valuable, even if I've been out of the game in the sort of rat race, the media industry for a few years. So I I have no intentions of returning to that aside from being a brand owner who is now part of this same conversation that, you know, with, that, that everybody wants to have with Procter and Gamble and Unilever and all the other major old foes. It's my intention for this business and our intention as a brand is to turn it into a household name. It doesn't happen overnight. But that's our intention, at least. It's very aspirational, very aggressive. Totally. You know, maybe that's the New Yorker in you who's like, I'm going to make it big or 
go home or something. It's the Detroiter, actually. I'm, uh-huh. I, I, despite my wife telling me or reminding me, I should say that I've lived here for almost 10 years. Uh-huh. You can take the boy out of Detroit, but you can't take the Detroit out of the boy. Uh-huh. It's I come from a I come from a hardworking family. My family is now all physicians, and my mother was a teacher. And I never wanted to be a physician. I never wanted to go into education formally. And I always, as the youngest of three, I marched to the beat of my own drum. Yeah, but there is something interesting for me about that going big. It's not really. It doesn't sound like you did a toe in the water. You actually did, decided emotionally, financially, whatever. Yep. Let's go for it, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Despite your backgrounds and your education and things like that. So there seems to be some importance to that spirit. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's a combination of hubris and sanity and confidence, right? Um, and listen, the story's still being written and who knows how it's going to turn out, but we got one life, man. You know, I, I don't know how to say it any other way aside from those who know me know that I'm not the type of person to just sit on the sideline. And if this doesn't work out, if I end up joining a company, I intend to look at my role in that company as an owner um, and not as a participant. It's a total, it's a total mind shift for me for today and in the future. I hope to not work for somebody in the future, but that being said, it's a reasonable possibility that I acted. Remind me when Jupiter launched. Yeah. If you just look at the calendar and say, what was the worst week in a hundred years to launch a business? <laughs> That's when we launched our business. So we launched our business in late May or early June of 2020. Pretty horrible time to launch a business. Yeah. Uh, but what's incredible, as I was doing a little research for this call, I came across Vogue in September 21. Who had a list of top 15 dandruff shampoos and there you were top of the uh, list was uh, Jupiter. So it seems to me that you've made amazing progress just in that short period of time. Yeah. Just like you, if you're going to do it, you want to do it right. And I think when we decided to launch the business, despite the macro environment being horrible, we felt comfortable that we at least had products that were groundbreaking or that they felt like they were totally different than what was on the market. And I'm incredibly fortunate that I had a team uh, around us to help get that message elevated, help put it in the right hands so people could experience the product and it could make a list. There are so many people who just don't have that ability. They could be sitting on gold and they just can't get it in the right hands. So. I take my lucky stars every day that my hard work and my relationships and patience and hustle all yeah. culminated in that. In well, that. that's yeah, graft and that relationship is an interesting point and maybe something we can come back to at another time, but sure. you feel the networking and the use of your contacts that you build over your career. Sure. Even you talked about Michael, who isn't in the shampoo business. <laughs> but it was one of the first persons you thank for your success. So I think that's an interesting point as well. Well, M- Michael is in the human business, right? He's in the business of, and he's in the business of business, which is understanding what companies and individuals need when they need them at the right time. And I'd like to think he taught me a thing or two. Any entrepreneur at some point has to make that jump. And if you look at history, 
there are entrepreneurs that start companies while they're working for other companies, totally support that. And then there are individuals who just need to leave and they need to clear out any other noise so they can focus. And I just happened to be the latter. Uh, and I happened to have an incredibly supportive wife who realized that if I didn't do this now, it would be something that I would always be thinking about. And I think she equally wanted me to try it so I can say I did it and get it out of my system just as much as she actually believed in me and believed in the idea and believed in what we were doing. And yeah. by the way, I do the same fucking thing if I was her too. If she came home and said she wanted to launch a stuff business kind of that's a, it's a nice final point if you feel like it is something you should do you should work on it you should go out and do it or at least plan and try to make it work yeah and today today yeah yeah, yeah. if one which is somebody kind of has that sort of feeling like yeah do the idea i've been thinking about yeah listen I, you, you know this just as well as i do which is you can dip your toe into the water or you can cannonball into the deep end. I think it's hard to do the in-between. Uh, and I think it's, I, th I think it's different for everybody. I think you have to look at your finances. I think you have to look at your relationships and say, am I on stable ground? Does my part, will my partner emotionally support me if I make this jump? Do I have the right support system? Do I have the right idea? And I think the idea, frankly, is probably the least important of the bunch, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, because I think the idea evolves as you get moving. But my, my belief, generally speaking, is those who are more likely than not listening to this program have an obligation to the world to create. If you can, you must, is the way I think, is we're put on the planet to make it better, to advance in some way. And not to say that a dandruff shampoo is going to change society, but We've gotten some pretty incredible letters from some of our customers and we give 5% of our proceeds back to mental health resources. And we like to think we're making a dent and advancing the world in some respect beyond just making people's heads feel better. So I guess the short version of that is if you wake up every day and it's, if it's pushing you, sort of nudging you and sort of needling at you. At some point, you just have to say, I'm either going to do it or I'm not, and, you know, and, and, and go. I appreciate it. I appreciate you building on that final thought and sharing those ideas. Robbie Salter, founder, co-CEO of Jupiter Shampoo. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. That was fantastic. Really great. Yeah. Lovely. All right, good. I hope you didn't mind me going into that tarot story about. Oh, those are softballs. For me, too many podcasts where people like doing their resume for the first half. I don't know. I feel there's probably a connection between everybody about inventing and reinventing between all entrepreneurs and creators. So seeing if there's a common thing. Yeah. I mean, I would say the one thing that we didn't talk about mm -hmm. his age, right? Yeah. Um, I, I was later in life when I did this, right? Like I'm not, I wasn't Ray Kroc trying, you know, trying it at 52, but I'm also not Mark Zuckerberg trying it at 19. No. Um, and I think that there is, a, as you get older, certainly your responsibilities increase and the opportunity cost increases and 
But like, hey man, if this shit fails, I will be north of 40, presumably, and back on the job market, wondering whether or not I will find somebody who appreciates the fact that I took a swing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'd like to think that they would, but. I guess you probably get 50-50, many to get the 50% people who appreciate what you did and like, go, oh, look at that. You went out and learned a lot and it's 50%. Like you walked away from the business. Like <laughs> you're going to walk away again, which you probably are. Um, I mean, listen, the, the, the truth is, is I had a conversation with my wife and she said, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. And if it fails, then you have to promise me that you're going to go work for her. <laughs> a big company, a big paycheck. And listen, we didn't have a kid when I started this business for two months. And then two months later, we did. Heads up, mate. It's, uh, it's, there is no end. No, totally. And man, look at me. I'm doing this podcast, scratching itch, do new things. Totally. You know, and it's like series of little cy- of cycles one to another. Yeah. I will always find, I will always have the itch to do, to build. It's, yeah. You know, can I find that? Can I find that place that will allow me to build and feel like I have ownership over something? And frankly, I don't think I could go anywhere where I don't have ownership, right? Where I'm taking paycheck and not having equity. It's just not, I don't, it's going to be difficult, but it's, I'm just going to be honest with my potential employer and say like, if you want the best out of me, then you got to incentivize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and that doesn't mean it comes day one. It just means. I need to know that I'm working towards something and then I've got a stake in the business. Otherwise it's not going to excite me. It's scary. I think the normality of things, you could go back and do that job. No one's going to take me and become an ad guy after all this time. But then would I even want a job? I mean, there's a reason I haven't had a job for 20 years. So maybe I'm the right person to put into an office and have people around me. How does it, but how does your wife feel about that? She's super scared. I mean, well, everyone's scared, nervous about it. Yeah. Especially with these current times. Oh, totally. When there's questions like, will we make the money? You know, the answer is I will find the money. I rely on myself to go find the money. And I think it will come up. If I do sowing the seeds, the money will come. Where? I don't know. Sometimes you don't know. It's not like sowing a a field of wheat and then months later, the whole thing comes up. It's more like fishing or something, you know? Totally. And you listen, Hey, you go work at a company, you spend your time, you move paper from one side of the desk to the other. And eventually after enough time, you'll get enough seniority in order to make more money. And like, that's just not who I am. That's not my hustle. That's not my game. I think back to my friend who who started a company called up to which mm-hmm. raised a few million bucks for, and it failed miserably after 30 months and he had three kids and he fell on his ass and somebody said, Hey, you should do this idea that I have, which is a sneaker trading platform. And he was down and out and he said, sure, I'll do it. I got nothing else to do. And next thing you know, what he's running StockX. <laughs> and yeah. Sometimes it happens the first time. Sometimes it happens the fifth time. Sometimes it never happens. Um, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. No looking back, my friends. Oh, no looking back. Listen, congr- honestly, congratulations, mate. You've been talking about this project for a while. And so when it came through, I was super excited about you just doing it. And, um, and as I said, seen it in Vogue, 
pretty cool. I'm sure there's a lot of um, meandering roads and ups and downs, but um, from the outside, it looks great. This has been Piers Fox. Thanks everyone for listening to this Project of Energy podcast, a series where I hope to interview creative and progressive leaders as they invent new ideas and reinvent themselves. If you have any comments about this podcast, or if you'd like me to ask the interviewee more questions in a follow-up recording, email me at peers at fox.org. Meanwhile, subscribe on your favorite podcast player or check us out at projectofenergy.com. And do check out my other Projects of Energy, PSFK, Retail Innovation Week, and Walk It.